Good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas to you. Welcome this morning, whether you're here in person or on the live stream, to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at LOPC, and I have to say, this is the group I am so proud of. Look at this. No, You know, Presbyterians kind of get a bad rap. We're called the frozen chosen. How can you be frozen when you come in out of the cold, into the warm sanctuary? Here's Christmas morning on a Sunday. I am so proud of you, and it's great to see you. And I won't make you. It's, you you want to know a huge temptation I have right now? Huge temptation to sit there and say, let's get closer together and move up towards the front. But no, I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to be very good and let you sit, for some of you who are here often, in your regular seats. You can be very, very comfortable. If you're visiting with us here this morning, one, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Two, we're thrilled that you're here with us. It's our prayer that this will be just a rich time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We hope you got a goodie bag as you came in. And if you're on the end of an aisle, if you would start the friendship pad down, we would love to know that you were here. And so let me make several announcements of different things going on as we enter into worship this morning. Uh, One is a reminder that if you are making year-end contributions, you have till December 31st for them to be counted this year. And so you can contact Terry Forrester, you can contact Yvonne, whatever, they just have to be postmarked by December 31st. We also, have you enjoyed for the last month the beautiful sanctuary? I guess the bad news is whatever comes up must go down. And so we need volunteers this Tuesday, the 27th at 9 a.m., help the deacons out, help the decor committee out, and help put all the stuff away. Uh, Evie and I will be away this week. Next Sunday, you will have our future assistant pastor, Mike Palumbo, preaching. And so we're excited to welcome Mike to the pulpit, to LOPC, Lord willing, uh, contingent on his passing his presbytery exams, he will begin early in March. Come on out for New Year's and enjoy worship. And then I will be back in the office on Tuesday, the 3rd of January. As we move into uh, 2023, back on the table by the missions table, you will see, along with the yellow PC 2.0 material, our community Bible reading plan. It's not, it's a great opportunity to read through the Bible together as a church. So I would encourage you to do that. I'll be trying to put out weekly devotions for those. And then on January 8th, the session has called a congregational meeting for immediately after the worship service. And the purpose of that meeting will be to elect officers for deacon and elder. So we would encourage you to come on out for that. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church, and now as we hear the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
call to worship this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Father, thank you. Who could have thought up such a plan that you would have sent your son into this sinful, rebellious, broken world by taking upon himself the very form of a servant, not counting equality with God, something to hold on to, emptied himself of glory and became like us. And even to the point of death, taking the wrath and the punishment and the penalty for our sin upon himself to reconcile us and to bring us to you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We love you and pray this morning, that you would be present amongst us, that we would exalt your holy name, that as Mary did long ago, we would rejoice in God our Savior. May we sing praises to you in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing, Joy to the World.
need of confession this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Paul writes, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The baby that was born in the stable, that grew up to be Christ, what was his personality like? What was he like? Extroverted? Introverted? Outgoing? Here we have a description of exactly what he was like. He had a compassionate heart. He was kindness. He was humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another. Just think about that quality by itself. I just know he, how bearing, forbearing he is because he puts up with me. Y'all can think about yourself. I will confess he puts up with me. How forbearing is that? Forgiving. And of course, God is love. Now Paul writes that we are to put on like clothing the personality of Christ. And he says, do so as those who have already been chosen, who are already set apart, who are beloved. You don't do this to earn his love. He says, as beloved, here's how you reflect that. Take a few moments, engage with the Lord, privately do business with him, and in a few moments I will lead us in and we will pray this corporate confession of sin together. Let us pray. Let us pray together. Generous God, you give us the greatest gift of all, yourself. But often we find it hard to take notice. We are caught up with our own gifts, given and received. Forgive us, generous God, for the casual way we treat your gift of love. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen. I think part of the, a major part of the Christmas miracle is that Christ came not to just forgive us, but to give us a place in his family, to adopt us. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. That means born under the same conditions that we're under in order to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive 
adoption as sons. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are God's adopted child, his son, his daughter, his beloved whom he delights in. He is so proud of his family. He looks at his family with nothing but love. Friends, receive this assurance of pardon, and let us stand and continue to worship, singing Away in a Manger. Join together in a time of prayer, praying together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When the time had fully come, Heavenly Father, you sent forth your Son, born under the ordinary, normal circumstances in our condition, taking our likeness upon himself. Lord, there is no more amazing, category-breaking, history-altering, significant event in the history of the universe. And you did so in order to reconcile us to yourselves. You came to us and made your dwelling amongst us. Lord, we thank you for the Christ child. We thank you for the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the life of Jesus. 
And we thank you for the death and resurrection and now the ascension of Jesus. We thank you for the story of the gospel, the gospel of your kingdom, that you rule and you reign. And Father, we recognize that we sing hymns like Joy to the World. We know that there are many, many people hurting and suffering. And we ask, Father, that they would experience Emmanuel, God with us, that part of your coming in the likeness of human flesh was you've tasted our tears. You've eaten the bread of affliction. You've taken suffering upon yourself and you're acquainted with all of our loss and grieving and mourning and pain. And you came so that one day you will put an end to it all. John got a glimpse of the end of history when he said there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. And we look forward to that future. That's why we pray thy kingdom come. And we pray while we experience joy mixed with sorrow. While we enjoy one another and it's still filled with lament. That our song would be an honest song. And we would experience Emmanuel, God with us. So may your comfort and your peace be with any and all who are hurting, who are struggling. Lord, we ask that you would be with us. We thank you for your presence. We pray that we would be ones receiving constantly the gift of love. And love as it really is. Sacrificial, self-giving, completely other-centered. Fill us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
this is Christmas morning and we're going to move kind of into the new year and all those things, let me just say a word of utter, utter thanks to Amy and the choir and everybody who made this such a special Christmas season. Between the cantata, between last night's service of lessons and carols, have we not experienced tremendous worship as the excellence and the beauty of music has led us to the throne of grace. I don't know about you all, but I sure appreciate what this group does. They lead me to worship, and so I want to say thank you. Now, have you ever noticed we all sing, and we all love to sing? I mean, I sing all the time. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I make up my own words. Evie laughs at me all the time because she kind of goes, wait a second, do I need to worry about you already at your age? That's not the third verse of whatever song it is you're making up. But the bottom line is, music is such an important part of our lives, is it not? And this morning we're going to look at how did Mary, the mother of Jesus, respond to this miracle this extraordinary event, obviously not just in her life, but throughout history. She responded by singing. She uttered out a song. It is called the Magnificat from its opening words in Latin, my soul magnifies the Lord. Luke has recorded it for us so that it is in our scripture. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Mary's song, the song of Christmas, from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. We ask, Father, that you would pour out Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of your word and especially application to our lives, both individually and corporately. May we not just seek knowledge or information, but transformation. That your word, which is useful, profitable for teaching, for correcting us, for rebuking us, and for training us in righteousness, change us. Open the eyes of our heart that we may truly see the wonder and the glory of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this song of Mary, a tremendous song of praise sung by Mary in response to the announcement that she would give birth to the Messiah, is her 
response to God's favor. She looked at God's smile upon her. One of the things I love, and someday we're going to have to go through the Gospel of Luke, because many times it talks about Mary treasured these things up in her heart. And I love that. She ruminated, she meditated, she reflected. It makes me think of another Christmas song. What's the song, Amy? Mary, did you know? I don't know what you all think. I think she knew. That's my guess, because she treasured these things in her heart. And as we go through this song, she is singing the song of the purpose of Christmas, which is salvation. The song draws on another Old Testament character. Her name was Hannah. And Hannah praised God for his power, his grace, his mercy, in giving her a son that she cried out for. His name was Samuel. And Hannah gave a jubilant song of thanksgiving, focusing on many of the same themes that Mary draws from. Mary draws on Hannah's themes of the Lord's judgment of the proud, his grace to the humble. Both point to a reversal, a turning upside down of human fortune, as well as the result of God's divine intervention. The Song of Mary is a response to God's favor in her life. And it makes me think of Paul's words to the church at Rome when he said, by the mercies of God, in other words, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's favor, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And he says, this is your spiritual worship. Present your whole selves as living sacrifices. Why? Because your heart, your mind, your will, your affection, your imagination, your life has been captured and gripped by the mercy of God. Mary realized the mercy of God and it resulted in a life of worship. The Archbishop William Temple says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will to His purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Yes, worship in spirit and truth is the way to the solution of perplexity and to liberation from sin. Friends, do you have the song of Christmas? Do you have the song of the gospel? Which does not mean a song of kind of pie in the sky, everything is great, I'm you know, kind of hunky-dory, everybody's happy. No, it's a song of honesty. It includes lament. It includes affliction. Joy, which is different from happiness, does not mean the absence of pain. Joy means the fullness of all of life. The highest highs and, yes, even the lows, lowest lows. How do we get the song of Christmas? How do we get it in our hearts? We're going to look at three things real briefly from this text that are necessary for you to sing the song of the gospel, to sing the song of Christmas, and to be captured by the song of Christmas. 
You need the song of the Lord. You need the song of humility. And you need the song of the story of the gospel. The song of the Lord, the song of humility, and the song of the gospel. I want you to take a look with me, the song of the Lord, and I just want you to notice something, how God-centered Mary's Magnificat is. After the opening note of praise where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, look at the personal pronouns. He has been mindful. His name is holy. His mercy extends. He has performed. He has brought down. He has filled. He has helped. Who is the main actor, the main player, the subject, the object, the audience of this song? The audience in worship is God. You know, there are things, and they call this in church leadership, they say worship wars. You know, all the worship wars, all the things of, wait a second, should worship be this way? Should it be that way? Should it be traditional? Should it be contemporary? Should it be all these things? And I think if we could recover the God-centeredness, God-exaltedness of worship, we would not argue about all of the personal preferences, what we like and what we don't like. We would simply have a lot more of the song of the gospel if he were the focus of our lives. If we would be God-centered, our lives would have more joy in its fullness. Mary's song focusing on the Lord prominently brings out two main themes. This is the song of the Lord. The first one is that the Lord is the divine warrior who accomplishes deliverance. God is the mighty one who does great things, who shows forth strength and scatters the thoughts of the proud. See, it says, He has scattered the proud, brought down the mighty from their thrones. This is the great reversal. What is God going after here? What is He delivering? He is going after the proud. This is very reminiscent of one of Evie's and I, our favorite verses in the Bible, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, that says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Notice, He is a mighty warrior. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He is mighty to save. Literally, He is a mighty warrior. He fights your battles. What's your greatest battle that's going on right now? Do you realize that Jesus, who came to earth, who was born of a woman, born under law, is called Emmanuel, which means God with us? And John wrote of Jesus, he said that we are to abide in him and he will abide in us, and that apart from him we can do nothing. Let me ask you a question. Do you let him, as the mighty warrior that he is, fight your battles? Or are you constantly saying, let me, I'll take care of it, I'll do it myself, I can do it, maybe I'll let you be my co-pilot or my assistant, but I will do it. Or do you let him fight your battles?
Or do we just leave him on the sidelines, so to speak? Because we want to be the main actor in the story. And we wonder why we don't have the song of the gospel when we're trying to do it ourselves. The second theme is that God is the merciful God of the covenant. He's tender and faithful. He remembers the covenant. And what a covenant is, it's not a contract. It's not a human contract. It is a binding commitment that God has made to his people. Do you realize that God has bound himself up with you? That your heart is bound up with his? That's why I'll give you a clue into when you read things like in the book of Revelation, it gives you this great apocalyptic literature, and it talks about how our names are written on, or his name is written on our forehead, or his name is written on our hand. When we're identified with this, it's, that's covenantal faithfulness. That's covenantal love. That is that we are bound together with God. He looks with favor upon the lowly. He fills the hungry. He helps tenderly his people. That's the personality of the Christ who was born to Mary. That's what Mary is singing about. She says his mercy, verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him. See, and why does it say his mercy extends to those who fear him? It's not that it extends to everyone. See, it's that we all make something the ultimate object of our affection. We all sing to something. We all worship something. We all place our hopes and our dreams onto something. The point of this is that God's mercy is for those who place their hope on Him. Who, yes, maybe look at life honestly and say, there are times life, it stinks. It's hard. But like the Apostle Peter, we say, Lord, You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You know what Peter was doing in that verse? He's saying, I play. He's saying, yes, life is hard. It's tempting to turn away. Life is difficult. There are times I'm not certain, I am lonely, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, but where else will I go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. See, if you're placing your hope on something else, you need to look to that something for mercy. And the issue is it can't deliver. We have to ask ourselves, why are we asking God for mercy when we're looking to something else to give us that, for life, for security, for worth? You need to have the song of the Lord. Secondly, you need to have the song of humility. Look at the structure of Mary's song. She begins, verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then this little tiny word, for which in other words, what she's doing in this song is she's grounded. Why is she rejoicing? Why is she magnifying, making the Lord bigger and bigger and bigger in her life? She says, for he has looked upon, he is mindful. This big, transcendent, huge God has thought of little old me. I'll take you back. You ever remember being in high school? I know, long time ago for some of you, right? Long time ago for me. Being in high school... And one of the worst things about being in middle school or high school was what? First day, 
especially if you didn't, you know, if you weren't the most popular kid or anything like that, walking in and kind of going, will I be noticed? Will I be able to find a seat at the lunch table? Will I be able to find a seat in the cafeteria? Will anybody talk to me? Will any I know you all were the most popular, so I'm not, you know, not sure you're following me, but I, I don't know. I got nervous at times going in here. You know what Mary is saying? Now think about this. She is a young girl, a Jewish teenager, born of a working class family, ordinary of ordinaries. Before the eyes of a watching world, there was almost nobody more lowly than Mary. She would have been completely disregarded and now pregnant. She would have been the most completely overlooked, filled with shame, disregarded person. And yet the Lord is mindful of her. The Lord takes notice of her, sees her. One of the things we want most in life is to be seen. And the bottom line is the Lord sees you. That can be scary for us, but he notices you. See, we're reminded that this is simply how God works. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Isn't that amazing? He chose the foolish things of the world. I'm like, I'll get in line. Here I am, chief fool. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Mary was humble before the eyes of the world. She was also humble and lowly before God. Jesus himself said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Friends, you have to realize your spiritual bankruptcy, your spiritual helplessness, your spiritual nothingness. I've heard commentators put, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the middle class in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look at how comprehensive this is. Mary is singing how God has been mindful of her lowly estate. She's completely lowly. She's nothing in the eyes of the world, nothing in the eyes of God. I have nothing in myself to offer. I am completely and totally dependent. Friends, you need to know yourself and know your dependency in order to bring us to the third point, and that is to have the song of the story of the gospel. Luke chapter 1 has been the story of good news being announced. Think of how Luke chapter 1 has progressed thus far. It begins with Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, coming to an older couple. Their names are Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Gabriel comes and announces the birth of a very special person, the forerunner of Jesus. His name was going to be John the Baptist. Then he comes and he announces the good news of the impending birth of the Messiah, to the young virgin teenage girl, Mary. 
Now think about it. The word gospel, by the way, means good news. And what is it that makes this news so good? Salvation. Salvation is the theme of Luke's story, and salvation is what makes the gospel the gospel. Salvation is what makes the news so good. Mary sings, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then Mary bursts into song, revealing the scope of salvation. And the scope, the story, the story of salvation, the salvation for which she praises God is one of total, complete, cosmic renewal. The story for which she praises God is the story of the coming kingdom of God, which is, among other things, a total reversal of the old order of things. When the kingdom is revealed to John in Revelation 21, he says there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. That's the old order of things. Mary is singing, that is going to be overturned. Talk about turning tables. We sing at Christmas time, we sang this morning, joy to the world. Talk about cosmic renewal. Far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. Jesus is concerned with all of creation and bringing a new creation. This is why Mary can sing, verse 51, He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, those who thought they could live independently and autonomously without God. No matter how much they have, he brings them down. Notice the verb tenses. He has performed. He has done these things. Mary is in. This is why I think Mary knew, by the way. She's singing as if he has already done all of these things. Before he is born. Talking about treasuring and pondering all these things. Mary is singing about future events like they've already been accomplished while Jesus is not yet born. How can she do that? She realizes what the story is. Mary realizes truly what the story is, that the end of salvation is complete, total renewal, and thus she rejoices that since God has set his saving work in motion, it is already as good as done. And this is when the story really becomes radical. See, in verse 48, when she sings, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I spoke earlier about how Jesus notices her, notices you, sees you, knows you. How much does he really see you? How has God really been mindful of your empty, lowly, nothing state? by sending Jesus specifically to substitute himself and enter into our humble state as our substitute in our place. He did that first in his birth. Think about what we read in our call to worship earlier, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He had all the glory, all the exaltation, all the power of God, and he didn't hold on to it. He emptied himself. He gave it away. 
and says he made himself nothing. Mary knew her lowliest state. She's had the song of humility. She knew that she was nothing. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Literally, in his birth, he made himself nothing. But then Paul continues. He says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The climax, see, the birth of the Messiah is just the beginning of the story. The climax of the story is the cross, where Jesus truly became the divine warrior and delivered us, defeated sin, triumphed over evil, evil, triumphed over our greatest enemy, which is death, and through the most radical means imaginable, through the most radical weakness, he triumphed through that weakness. See, there are only two choices for you and me. We can hold on to our story, where we're the center of all things. And yeah, maybe we believe, but we keep God at the periphery. Or maybe we don't believe at all. But we can be the center of the story where we are truly left with just ourselves. Or we can live in light of God's story. We can live in light of God's story, where God's story can be the center of our lives, can dominate our thinking and our lives. And we bring our story into God's story, where it becomes significant in Him. We can either live with ourselves at the center or with God at the center. But let me tell you something. If you live with God at the center, if you listen to and surrender, even if you don't understand it fully, if you submit to God's story, surrender your story to His, bring your story into line with His, your story will become bigger than you ever imagined. Your story becomes more significant than you could ever realize and your life will be characterized by the song of the gospel, the song of Christmas, even in the midst of darkness, of suffering, of loss. Friends, do you have the song of Christmas? Father, we pray. I pray for every person here that they would have the song of Christmas, that we would say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Oh, that you would turn our hearts to, yes, maybe humble ourselves a little, admit that we need saving. We don't need to be better people. We need to be new people. And you came to make us new. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
friends, I'd like to wish you all a Merry Christmas. We are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. And if you'd open your hands to receive, may I offer to you the Lord's blessing, the Lord's favor, the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.